Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's always interesting when you're dating and living with someone. Are you really about to? Are you? Okay, I was just, all right, let's do it. Let's talk about it. What, what's interesting about it? Well, it's weird when you have a date night and then you come back after a romantic date night and then someone's just there to ask you how you're doing. Like, you know, we get back, we're all into each other and then it's like, hey guys, how, uh, how was your uh, meal? What did uh, you, you guys eat? having a roommate. Yeah. Housemate. Housemate. Roommate. It's okay. You can say the words roommate. I actually said. Are you embarrassed by no, it? That this but I, I said to someone, I housemate, and they also live in a house with someone. They said, I really like that. I'm going to start saying housemate. I'm starting a new I trend. I think y'all only like it because you're embarrassed by having a roommate. And I don't think there's nothing embarrassing about it. I'm just being realistic and practical. This is my roommate. This is the it's reality. just a roommate. If you're living in a house with someone with multiple rooms, then you're housemates. Oh, talk about how privileged you are. <laughs> there's like two rooms. Okay. Well, there's more than two rooms. Um, including the bath. Then there's the bathroom. And then the the two living areas. <laughs> and then the outdoor back, you know, oh, backyard. Really? You could be my real estate agent. I'm just saying, <laughs> it's a pretty nice place. Don't don't down. But at least crazy. now, you know, I, I give credit to you. You you live alone, and then you just get to bring home whoever you want, and no one's there to bother you. Yeah, which is why I haven't invited anyone over. Because I like living alone. Living alone is just so wonderful. I thought I was going to be worried about living alone, but I, I I enjoy it so much. Well, you you once were because there is a worry that if anything happens... If I die, yeah. it's going to take forever. Yeah, because it's not like y'all are checking up on me. I, oh, I do. <laughs> no, we had a rule that if we don't hear from Ryan within 24 hours... And twenty Honestly, 24 hours is too much because I feel like my body's going to start to smell. But then that's... The problem is 12 hours to 24 is kind of normal for you to not respond. That's true. So we're just going to think you're, there's something going on all the time. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, well this you know, is how we're starting the show, talking its, about my dead body. <laughs> it has its pros and cons. Uh, about my dead body? No, I meant <laughs> having a housemate and, and, and There's pros and someone. cons to Ryan being dead. No big deal. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Well, lots coming up on the show today. How spicy food and masculinity became so connected. That's at 4.24 p.m. Oh, 4.25 p.m. Pacific, 7.25 p.m. Eastern. Plus the Black Panther star who was pushing anti-vax theories on set. That's in the T-Report in a moment. First, let's get into some what's trending this hour, though. 
Texas continues to attack trans youth. It's their fourth time trying to pass a discriminatory bill that has now moved to the House Select Committee on Constitutional Rights and Remedies. And it passed there yesterday. HB 25 would ban students from playing on a sports team that doesn't correspond to the sex listed on their birth certificate. And the bill would require parents to show a birth certificate issued at birth just in case a minor had the gender marker on the birth certificate corrected. Just like horrible stuff happening in Texas. And it's sad that we have to continue seeing this and then fighting it. Now, as Democrats figure out a solution for the debt ceiling, the deadline has been pushed. Here's Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. We have reached agreement to extend the debt ceiling through early December, and it's our hope that we can get this done as soon as today. Okay, there you go. Happening very soon. Still doesn't seem to be like there's a solution in sight, but at least there's time. Now, Two real-world studies published yesterday confirmed that the immune protection offered by two doses of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine drops after two months or so, although protection against severe disease, hospitalization, and death remains strong. The studies from Israel and from Qatar, published in the New England Journal of Medicine, supports arguments that even fully vaccinated people need to maintain precautions against infection. One study from Israel, actually, that covered healthcare workers showed antibody levels wane rapidly after two doses of vaccine, especially among men, among persons 65 of age or older, and among persons with immunosuppression. So that's really interesting. After two months or so, I wonder when we're all going to have to get our boosters. I know it's already starting for some groups, but Mm -hmm. fascinating stuff. That was What's Trending This Hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Wow. You know, if you ever needed inspiration on how to, like, you know, maybe ruin your own job and career, Mm -hmm. just take one from this Black Panther star. Uh, Letitia Wright reportedly is pushing anti-vaccination views on the set of Black Panther 2. Yeah, this is bad. It's time for the Tear Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. She made her onset comments against getting jabbed while the Marvel film was being shot in Atlanta, a source told The Hollywood Reporter. Wright's comments during the filming were in addition to anti-vax posting she made last year on social media, which according to um, The Hollywood Reporter led her to her staff to quit. Quote, Wright quietly parted ways with her entire U.S. team of representatives in the wave of a backlash over posting a controversial anti-vaccine video in December. Um, After that, the actress deactivated her Twitter and Instagram accounts after facing backlash for sharing a video that preached skepticism about the vaccines. I mean, there is a huge um, article, actually, that the um, Hollywood Reporter just released about just the issues of a lot of Hollywood stars being anti-vax and a lot of actors and actresses who feel that way. There was a film that uh, a source came out and talked about how a star of the film refused to get vaccinated and ended up giving its whole crew, other actors, um, COVID, and it ended up, like, they ended up losing a million dollars. And so this is happening where we're going to have to start seeing a lot of... um, Honestly, I wish they would have just told the people who they were. Because once you start letting people know who they are, I mean, maybe they'll have a change of tone when everyone knows and you can't just hide in private. Being like, oh, yeah, you're anti-vax and no one knows. I'm surprised it's been kept so secret. I'm not. I think Hollywood's trying to figure out a way to deal with it. But if they keep losing a million dollars on one movie or more, 
Yeah, capitalism's gonna kick in and they're not gonna allow it. If you have to push shooting by two weeks to a month, yeah, that's, that's what happened. That's yeah. literally what happened because you have to have all negative COVID tests. Just, you know, just get uh, someone like Tom Cruise on the set just screaming at everyone. Maybe that'll help. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> at least he, I mean, at least he had points. Um, that's your team report, though. I got more coming up next hour, so stick around for it. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q. On October 2nd, an oil pipeline off the coast of Southern California broke and spewed an estimated 144,000 gallons of crude into the Pacific Ocean, impacting Huntington Beach, the wildlife, and so much more. Joining us right now is Ronald Chirdama, a distinguished professor of environmental toxicology at UC Davis. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. While this isn't as big as previous spills, how detrimental is this? Yes, it, it certainly is a is an important spill, and it's fairly large. And so it certainly is detrimental to the local um, uh, area in Southern California where it's impacting. Um, and, and it's spreading, I, I believe, south. So its uh, area of impact is increasing as it does spread. But you're right, it's not necessarily as catastrophic as, for instance, the Deepwater Horizon spill of 10 years ago, which was over 100 million gallons. Oh, my God. So how does something like this happen? Because I'm like, I I just, for me, as someone who doesn't really know a lot about oil spills in in that sense, how does something like this, just a pipeline, just kind of rupture? Right. My understanding is that, um, and, and they've been collecting evidence on this is that uh, it's potentially the result of a ship's anchor that um, it was uh, being dragged and I guess actually contacted the pipe and dragged it for a number of feet and in the in that uh, time uh, split the pipe open by a little over a, a foot uh, and that rupture uh, was the cause of the oil that then uh, was released to the environment and so so often um, with with uh, oil spills, it, it tends to be um, a a, um, a failure of infrastructure and, and technology and such. But in this case, it, it probably was a failure of, uh, of of a human cause at this point. Yeah, that sucks. Imagine you're the human that did that. Like, yes, <laughs> and and so you know one of the things that happens and that and the reason that they're looking into this is that is that when there's an oil spill, um, ultimately the party that is responsible for the spill ultimately is responsible for paying for the recovery uh, as well as the um, response. And so typically with an oil spill, it's the oil company that would be responsible. Um, And then the state of California um, would, if the oil company doesn't pay right away, then the state would pay and would bill the oil company for the damage. In this case, I would suspect that the oil company that runs the, the platform and the pipeline would like to know the, who the shipping company is because they may want to, um, they may want to go after the shipping company for uh, the damages. So let's talk about the impact because you know that's a, a big thing we wanted to focus on. Sure. How much does this impact the wildlife? Obviously, us humans too. It's all connected. Let's be clear. I mean, I care about the animals because humans are going to do this again, unfortunately. Right. Yes. And so, and so, oil spills have always been a problem for us. It, they've gotten fewer uh, with time because technology and our response capability and so forth have increased. But we still do have spills now and then. Um, when you do have a spill of this magnitude or larger, typically what happens is that 
uh, a lot of the oil that goes into the water actually evaporates. So not only do you have impacts to organisms that live in water, for instance, fish, birds, and mammals, but um, because some of it evaporates to the atmosphere, it also causes impacts, again, to the birds and mammals that are breathing, but also humans in the area that might be inhaling um, the hydrocarbons from that oil. And that's one of the reasons why they've closed the beaches is so that people are not inhaling the, uh, the residues. Yeah, the pictures are just so sad of the birds who have just oil all over them. Yeah. Can barely move or breathe. How long does right. it take to recover, like, recover this, right? Like, especially with, I mean, everyone's and everything is covered in oil. How long does it really kind of take to recover that ecosystem? Right. And so so it depends upon the amount of oil that's spilled and the area that is um, impacted. Um, typically, with an oil spill, um, it will begin to dissipate and degrade um, by natural uh, processes. Um, as I mentioned, a fair amount of it will evaporate. Sometimes 20 to 30 percent will evaporate. Um, a lot of it is then degraded by bacteria and sunlight over time. And so if you, if you go off, for instance, with this spill, if you, if you look ahead two or three months, um, what will, the likely scenario is that most of those residues, other than the, the tar balls that are on the beaches, will have dissipated away. Now, that, that also, though, means that early on, like right now that the spill has occurred, this is when you're getting the most impacts to fish and wildlife um, and potential impacts to humans as well, because we're at the phase now, the spill just happened a few days ago, and so the, the concentration of oil is at its maximum and in, is dissipating quickly. So um, over time, what will happen is that we'll see, for instance, um, with, with fish, or rather with um, um, birds and mammals, um, you're seeing them coated right now. Um, the responders are down there actually from my, my university, UC Davis, that are also working with uh, birds and mammals to clean them. But what will happen is that they get coated um, when they get coated, it mats their fur and feathers. Uh, they're no longer able to insulate. Often they're not buoyant anymore, and they often will die of hypothermia. So you've got those acute effects going on now. Um, if they can be um, captured and cleaned efficiently and, and within a certain time period, they can survive. So it depends upon how badly they're coated and how long uh, it takes before they're cleaned. Now, with fish and and other organisms like invertebrates, clams, mussels, etc., you've got a coating hazard to them too. But they can also take uh, oil up the the hydrocarbons that make oil. They can also also take them up across their gills and through ingestion from water, um, and they can suffer toxic consequences from that. Uh, if if the gills are coated, they actually. Um, they actually no longer can breathe, and so they, in the sense, suffocate and they die. Um, if they're exposed for a longer period of time, chronically, especially with fish, they can uh, develop tumors over time. Um, one of the things that's a, that's a real problem for fish and, and invertebrates as well is that they tend to reproduce externally. They release their, their uh, gametes, their sperm and eggs into the water. Fertilization occurs in the water. Uh, they form larvae, and those larvae grow into adults. 
Well, those forms, um, uh, those life forms, larvae, sperms, eggs, etc., are way more sensitive than the adults. Yeah. And so typically what happens is that you see uh, a significant reduction in reproduction um, for the first few years. Yes. And it takes a while for that to recover. Ronald, we, we have to wrap it. Yeah, basically, okay. it's, this is really bad. Uh, do you think people go, will be able to go back to the beach? And this is just a quick, like, 15-second response. Like, will people be able to go back to the beach in six months, three months, for people I that would, live there? I would say within three months, no no okay. later than six right. months. Yeah. Okay, thank you so much. That was Ronald Chirdama, Distinguished Professor of Environmental Toxicology at UC Davis. Hope to have you back with some updates. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next up, would you want an alert before getting into a heated discussion online? One social media platform is testing it out. We tell you more next. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Let's talk about Twitter. Yes. So they are testing a new alert system that will warn you before you get into a heated or intense conversation. This is really interesting. And by the way, can I just mention the article? Because they're, they obviously don't like liberals. They're like, they're going to warn snowflakes. Or whoever wrote this does it is like, yeah, you know, exactly. full on serve. So the prompt suggests users remain respectful, reminds them that facts matter and have diverse perspectives and they have value. It's like the uh, moral teacher that's coming in to interrupt you on Twitter. Well, I think Twitter is on it's on this thing where, of course, we learned so much in the the era of Trump about misinformation and disinformation. And so when they started to put those things on articles being like, have you read the article? Do you know what you're, you know, re- like retweeting first or mm-hmm. quote tweeting? Like they started to put these messages or fact checkers on these tweets. And so I think they're trying to do more of that where they're trying to, you know, handle a lot of the toxicity that happens on Twitter. I'm just not sure if this is the way of doing it. I think this is just a, a trial if I'm being honest. Or a trap for those who love some drama. Well, that's right? why I said it's a trial. Yeah. So, like, if you do love this type of stuff, you might go, oh, yes, this is heated. Bring it on. Or I think maybe, like, maybe change the wording. Maybe say, this will make you or put you in a bad mood. This might make you cry. No. <laughs> this might make you angry. No. You know what? No, I don't want some of this in my life today. It, I feel like your lens is through <laughs> if everyone was a yogi. That's like if everybody lived in a yogi universe, then they'd be like, oh, don't click on this because your feelings may be hurt. 
And it's just like, that's not real. It's like, I just think the way they have it here, it's like, heads up, this conversation like this is intense. Okay, I live for the drama. I'm a messy bitch. I want to know why it's so intense. <laughs> How about... That's not going to tell me not to go and... Like interact what would stop there. you though? For, oh, so so someone like you who does enjoy that, me if it like for me, I think if there's more buffer between reading and reacting, the better. But here's the thing, someone like me, I'm I can read something and look at the drama and not insert myself in it. I think that takes a oh, really you're interesting. A, you're a, a voyeur. In, in many ways. Yeah. <laughs> well, it also goes back to, like, you, you love reality TV. Yeah, so all I'm like, that. I, can, I can watch something and, and not insert myself into something because I don't want it to come and impact my area and impact my piece. So looking at something negative, unless it's yeah. like some, uh, you know, I think it could help with, you know, watching the videos that go viral and it's murder or are like Ew. something violent, right? Like uh-huh. I think that could help because that puts like a trigger warning on top of, you know, before viewing this, this is what you should expect. I like that. Mm-hmm. But in, in an idea of like, oh, it's just a thread and someone's going back and forth and the conversation can be intense. And then how, not to, to wrap this up, how are they going to make sure this isn't policing necessary conversations? Like what's deemed intense, right? Like, are they like if if someone's talking about their transition, if someone's talking about something that's queer or trans related, are they going to say, oh, this conversation might be too intense for you? So what's the filter that they're putting that algorithm through? I think that is what these tech companies need to make sure they're doing and not blocking because we saw that on TikTok. We saw, you know, certain words being flagged and certain things being flagged. And so it, there's a process to this that I feel like these tech companies don't really have figured out yet. Yeah, there's always an issue when it comes to that. I mean, I feel like at least Twitter is doing more than other platforms at this point, or at least trying things out. I mean, they got dragged in the mud for a while, too. Not, but they're dragged. Yeah, they did, over they like did. having oh, white yeah, supremacists. And, but I feel yeah. like, but what do you feel out of all the platforms, which one, uh, Twitter feels like still the, and the bar is low. I think they're all crap. But the I just least enjoy crap. Twitter. Okay. Yeah, you know. Well, uh, let us know what you think. If you'd be down for this, if this would help, uh, stop you from entering dramatic conversations and getting into a debate. LGT shows where you can find us on social media as usual. But next up, librarians are being called out for books featuring LGBTQ issues. How they're fighting back next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Thanks for hanging out with us as we continue bringing you some awesome music here on Channel Q all afternoon long. And coming up on the show, Dave Chappelle continues to be under fire for his recent special, the latest in the T-Report in a moment with Ryan, plus how spicy foods can help you with your mental health. That's in... That's next hour on the show. Stick around. 425 p.m. Pacific, 725 p.m. Eastern. I tell you, every we got a good show lined up for you. Yes. Get ready for yes. it. First, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Oh my God, real quick, can I tell you? What? My mom mm-hmm. puts me on every Uber ride that she's on. She, she wants me to track her, and I just got a notification that she's going somewhere. And I'm like, why am I on your Uber account right now? My mom does that when she's in LA. I don't like that. My mom doesn't do it in Montreal. She's never an Uber in Montreal. But when she's here, she thinks she's like dang- it's dangerous. <laughs> I'm like, what am I supposed to do? You're all the way in Illinois. Good luck. I can't do anything, ma'am. 
Okay, now in Wyoming, city librarians are facing possible prosecution after angry local residents complain to police that the material is obscene and doesn't belong in sections for children and teenagers. For weeks, Campbell County Public Library officials have been facing protests over the books and for scheduling a transgender magician to perform for youngsters. An act that was canceled because of threats against the magician and library staff. Just horrible. The LGBTQ advocacy group Wyoming Equality says it's up to parents to decide when their children should have access to such books. They're just giving them the information and bringing them cool stuff from cool people. Get over it. Now, uh, (laughs) Pfizer-BioNTech. Get over it. Pfizer-BioNTech have asked the FDA to authorize the coronavirus vaccine for children 5 to 11. Here's White House COVID response coordinator. You think this could begin before Thanksgiving? Again, up to the FDA and CDC scientific processes, but yes, it could. And we will be ready as soon as the FDA and CDC uh, give the go-ahead. There you go. That was White House COVID response uh, coordinator Jeff Zients. And are you ready to find out what the world's coolest neighborhood is for 2021? Mm. According to Time Out, this neighborhood in Copenhagen, Norebro, topped the global media brand's list. <laughs> it's called Norebro. She loves the list. Just in case you're trying to find a cool place to go, maybe travel to. I'm convinced that you like those lists for you personally. Hey. This is not must, for anyone else. Not, this is for you. If I like it, I'm assuming I'll, there's other people out there that might think it's cool, too. That's true. You can't be the only one, right? Uh, yeah. The uh, global editor from Time Out said the pandemic was pretty crushing for cities and culture and hospitality businesses, but each of these places has its own story to tell about how people came together to support each other and inventing new grassroots culture along the way. So that place in Copenhagen was first uh, Andersonville in Chicago, known for its thriving LGBTQ scene and green spaces, came in at number two. While the historic Jongno 3 Ga in Seoul, South Korea, got the number three spot. So check that out on timeout.com because it was hard to pronounce all those things and might be hard to <laughs> then Google them. That was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news? Ryan. Oh my God, is Dave Chappelle finally getting canceled in like the best way possible? Oh. It's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. We talked about his comedy special when it dropped on Netflix where he, you know, he stoked the flames of controversy with incendiary jokes about transgender women and LGBTQ plus folks. And he even confirmed that he's a turf. Which, wow. Um, So organizations, of course, have been speaking out. People have been speaking out. And it's not ending. Um, The National Black Justice Coalition, a civil rights advocacy group focused on the LGBTQ plus community, um, goes so far as to... um, basically say Netflix you better pull this from it's a, your entire streaming platform I'm um, also glad spoke out calling out the acclaimed comic pattern of degrading jokes declaring quote Chappelle's brand has become synonymous with ridiculing trans people and other marginalized communities um, which is very true it's unfortunate at this point and the crazy thing is it also the most shocking of the reactions is from one of Netflix's own Jacqueline Moore she's an executive producer and showrunner of the uh, streaming uh, show Dear White People where she had to speak out and um, she basically declared herself done with Netflix and so at this point and she's not the only one who actually spoke out against it as well who's also trans and works for Netflix there's a thread that I actually retweeted 
um, where she talked about it um, because she had revealed her actual transition story on one of the platforms on I think Netflix is most which is their queer platform Mm -hmm. and so yeah I don't know Dave Chappelle really is putting his foot in it and I think he just continues to mask it as one marginalized group has more power than the other when it's not that at all it's just like what's the point of making these really silly jokes and they're not even worth it dangerous and hurtful say I mean lives are on the line people are dying these these jokes affect lives like especially black lives when you're talking about oh black people or lgbtq people have more power than black people well you're actually putting black trans women's lives on the line and so ah it's it's unfortunate it's annoying and i'm just over dave Chappelle as a whole that's your t report though i got more coming up next hour well next up carrie fisher's daughter spoke out about their relationship and what she learned not to do as a parent That's a pretty bold statement. We're going to get into it next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Carrie Fisher's daughter, Billy Lord, who's a great actress in her own right, is speaking out about her relationship with her mom. So she's a a new mom right now. She has a baby. And she was talking on this podcast, New Day, about the pressures she faced as a young child taking care of her famous mom. And actually, I guess um, the host was like, well, what did you learn from your mom? Or like, what would you do based on what your mom did? And she's like, well, it's not based on what my mom did. It's doing what she didn't do. Right. Because it seems like and it makes sense with everything that Carrie Fisher was going through, knowing she had a lot of issues, a lot of addictions. It seems that like even age seven, that her main job as the daughter, unfortunately, was taking care of her mom. Right. She was the main support and it forced her to grow up really fast because she was also her best friend. Right. She was the mom in that case. And it kind of opens up the conversation of what do you take from your parents that you learned to bring to uh, you know if you are building a family or the life you want and what do you leave behind oh that's so interesting right i think um there's i'm i'm still nowhere near a time where i feel like i'm ready to become a parent at all but i i think there's so much that i have learned from how my mom has parented me in the sense of like i would never really want to implement in my in my own kids life um from just supporting them, just, you know, feeling like I'm not I'm not going to control their lives based on my, fe- on my fears. I think that's really important, right? And I think a lot of times parents do that because they don't, they just want the best, right? They're only trying to do their best. And so they want to shield and protect you. And I think that can be very damaging. That can be like very helicopter parent. Oh, yeah. And you just don't want to do that because that's going to, your child's going to end up wanting to get away from you instead of like, feel like they can find comfort in you and I think that is really important um and then just like you know maybe not spanking and all that stuff but if now if you need a pat I'm always well, down for that was pat. like a hard pat yeah that's that's what a spanking <laughs> is but um no yeah I think there's a lot that you can just really learn and um but I think that's the main thing that I normally like take away from when I think about well how do I want my kids to to feel seen and and heard and and feeling like they don't have to stay in a quote unquote child's place. Like you're allowed to form your own opinion. You're allowed yeah. to say what's on your mind in a respectful way, right? Like there's teaching them about boundaries and teaching them about the things that you weren't really allowed to to 
to ever feel like you could exist in that space or world. Totally. And remember, it's challenging because, and, and God bless all our parents, right? Like, because they weren't taught that. Yeah, there's no a book. lot of uh, yeah, and there is no there. Well, there are a lot of books right now and podcasts even. But in the end, Not it's when like they were when, raising and, us, and also in general, like you could hear everything and read everything, but then when you're actually in the experience, yeah. it's a totally other thing. Like you don't know how you're going to react. Like you hope you have the tools and you're setting yourself up well to be more aware and more conscious. Well, I do think you know how you'll react. I think. Well, here's the thing. I I agree with you in the sense of. Yeah, it's true. There's going to be some things that you go through that you're not going to know. But I do think because there's more conversations, and we talked about this earlier this week, there's certain conversations that are being had that weren't being had oh, when yeah. our parents were around or like having when they were young parents and they were like raising kids, right? There, yeah. There's just, there's so much where people are, more of this generation is going to therapy and they're re-unpacking things from their childhood. And I think there is going to be space where they're going to tackle things from a different perspective because if you're in therapy and you're doing the work already, then you're kind of already getting the tools that you totally. need. Totally. I mean, and my, I know my mom listens to this. Like, my mom is uh, has been an educator, has helped others with problems, and yet she herself goes through a lot. And I, I say to her, hey, why don't you just go to therapy? Oh, I don't have time for that. Oh, my God. I tell my mom to do the same thing. And it's just like, sh- it, I think there's like this fear of opening up to people. I think, it, it, you know, especially when you're thinking about it from a black person's perspective or a POC person mm-hmm. in this country, um, it's hard to feel safe. In environments and feel safe enough to let people in on in the struggles and the things that you're going through on a daily basis, right? And I think that because of our parents went through so much and depending on what their life looked like when they were growing up mm-hmm. and the traumas they have, that's not going to be easy for them. It's not going to be just easy to sit down and tell somebody their business without them thinking it's going to be held against them. Yep. I mean... Even now, and I, I feel like we, this is connected, but a bit like off. But even now, you know, my, my parents I know feel uncomfortable, whether it be with what I share on air or on social media. I would. Some yeah. things you share on air, I yeah. would feel uncomfortable too as your parent. <laughs> but it's more also this idea of like, yeah, putting your business out there, which yeah. totally, you don't know what people could use or weaponize and use against you. But it's also this idea even like it goes back to how they bring that up in their interpersonal relationships. And it's like... You know what? If someone thinks that of me, just being me, like, I get it. But it's also the, that's their problem because I think our parents' generation kept that all so much to themselves that they didn't realize how much it was hurting them and how, how much they're limiting their own growth. Well, they kept it to themselves because it had actual impact on their lives. If your business was out on the streets, that could impact if somebody mm-hmm. hired you or that could impact how you you know, you know were being yep. looked at or was, stared yeah. at at the grocery store. So it actually had major impact in their communities versus True. us. We can go about our business in a one news cycle of a day. People could be talking about you, but the next day they're all they're over it. They're not thinking about twice about you but it was just different it was yeah. a different time no that's 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 definitely a good point but uh a lots of i think i think when you look back at this and if we're each going to do this exercise think about the things you would do differently but then also celebrate the things that worked because <laughs> and and maybe there's not any but like <laughs> but, Matt, but i feel like there's always right, you something say there's nothing that works not <laughs> well for me there is but like i think it's easy to like think about the bad things sometimes Right. But think there there are certain things. It could be like even the smallest little thing. Because we all deserve to look like look back at our experiences with some positivity. Try it. <laughs> <laughs> 
I have a lot, by the way. Which, but I, I feel bad because my mom could be listening. I have many and <laughs> you many. You feel lessons. bad. You're just talking. Mom, I love you. Oh my god. <laughs> Well, coming up, do you have needle phobia? How to conquer it in the age of COVID vaccines? That's next. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. A fear of needles is stopping people from getting the COVID-19 vaccine. Now, this actually totally makes sense uh, because it it stops people from getting the flu vaccine, too. A study from the University of Michigan found that 16% of adults from several countries avoided annual flu vaccines because of a fear of needles. And 20% avoided tetanus shots, which could also save your life, by the way, and are needed if uh, anything happens to you where that is needed. Joining us right now is Diane Sham- uh, Shamless, who is a professor of psychology from the University of Pennsylvania. To help us dive into this, thanks for being here. You're very welcome. Okay, so what is it called when you have a fear of needles, by the way? It's a term. I'm sorry, could you say that the again? The term, is it called trypanophobia? Oh, I don't know. We don't oh. use that sort of thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we'll just keep it... Uh, re- <laughs> And we won't bring up the terms. Fear of needles. (laughs) Okay. I thought it was needle phobia. Anyway, how big of an issue is this? Well, it's an extremely important one because people often miss important medical care and dental care because of their fear of needles and of medical procedures in general. So it can have really grave consequences for people's health. Yeah. And of course, right now we're seeing people who are afraid to get the COVID vaccine, not because of misinformation about how it's going to harm them, but because of their fear of the needles. Right. And I, I guess, are people even really thinking about this? Because when we found out about this and like, you know, obviously people are scared of getting shots, but I guess we never thought about the impact that it could have in, in the whole vaccine hesitancy of it all. Because there could be some people who really want to get the vaccine, but this is just a hurdle that they're trying to get over. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Just like, you know, they're afraid of other important vaccinations or medical procedures. So, yes, it's, it is, it is you know, It's probably not the major cause of vaccine hesitancy, but it's certainly one of the important ones. So if someone finds themselves in this category, what is your advice? What should they do? Well, it's something that's really important to know is that most people who are afraid of needles have a general fear of bodily injury. Mm. And they have 
usually when people have a phobia, you know, their their heart races, their blood pressure goes up, you know, they're panting and so forth. But people with this kind of fear very often may have that thinking about going for the needle, but then there's an opposite reaction that kicks in, and that is blood pressure drops, the heart rate drops, and it becomes quite possible that the person will faint. And so if you've experienced this a few times in your life, you may may become really afraid of ever experiencing it again and avoid needles. So a couple of things are important. One is to realize this looks like a genetic thing. It runs in families. It doesn't mean that you're a sissy. Um, What a a word to to use. I'm sorry? No, I was just laughing at that word. Right. Because it can be triggering for queer people who've heard that word. Well, but, but, you know, there are a lot of guys who are very ashamed that they have this reaction and believe that it, you know, it speaks uh, ill of their masculinity, that they feel faint when they see a needle. So, it, it, you know, it has nothing to do with your masculinity. It has to do with, you know, this kind of, of family history of the problem. So another thing you can do is to let the doctor or nurse or pharmacist who's giving a vaccine know about this kind of experience that you have so they can help you. You can distract yourself, you know, wear earbuds with your favorite music, uh, look away from the needle. There's no reason for you to look at it. You know, you don't have to do anything with it. The person in giving you the injection will take care of it. And also to do some things to raise your blood pressure. Like um, before they put the needle in, uh, you know, squeezing your muscles tightly uh, to, you know, get your heart rate up even before you go into the little room where you're going to get the vaccination, maybe jog in place for a moment. And if you think you're going to feel faint, and this is one of the reasons to tell the nurse, doctor, or pharmacist, then, you know, you may need to get your head down so that you don't faint. Yeah. And what about therapy or like, I mean, is this a cause for greater concern in terms of anxiety? Well, it's it's definitely something treatable. Um, Very often people don't come into treatment unless they really need some medical procedure that they're avoiding. And, you know, the time has come to do it. And they don't come in because they're scared. You know, being phobic means that you avoid um, and as long as they can get away with avoiding, they'll get away with avoiding. Well, very interesting. Thank you so much for joining us for this. You're very welcome. I'm glad you asked. It's an important problem. Bye-bye. Definitely. Bye. That was Diane Chambliss, professor of psychology from the University of Pennsylvania. Now coming up on the show today, um, the Zodiac Killer. Oh, my God. All this new information is coming up, and we're going to talk more about it right after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. So people are obsessed with the Zodiac Killer, and there's new news that came out today, actually, or yesterday. Uh, And it's just really fascinating. I mean, have you ever been interested in this whole case I mean, or situation? The only thing that I really know of the Zodiac Killer was because they used to call Ted Cruz the Zodiac Killer. Yeah. Um, which was always hilarious to me. Um, but I think once that kind of happened, people 
um, found out more about it, right? Like, I still don't even really know who the Zodiac Killer is and what he did. I just know there was a lot of killing, of course. Yeah, I also think generationally, like, we weren't part of the generation that was connected to this. I normally try to stick away, like, stay away from, um, like, these, like, killers. Like, I I feel like America has this weird obsession with, like, Ted Bundy's and, like, Uh like, serial killers and I'm just like why because it just continues to prove that there's a certain demographic that is may need more help <laughs> I mean that goes back to the podcast right all like what, what's the podcast that everyone's obsessed with about following that and the Netflix series that happened uh, well there is some news so in just some a, new a, updates yeah new updates and, and by the way for Ryan because you don't know the details so he was connected to a, a murder in 1966 and five murders that took place in 1968 1969 the reason why they call it the Zodiac Killer is because he left these cryptic astrological signs every time he murdered someone so they said oh, it was a Zodiac Killer yeah wow. well it's so interesting because a group of volunteer investigators like 40 people dedicated their life to figuring this out. Which I could, I understand why. Like, I can see why people want to know what, like, well, what happened here? Like, what, did something trigger this guy? Was he always weird from a young age? Like, who is this person? So they have basically pointed to, it all pointed to this one guy, Gary Francis Post, a retired Air Force serviceman. It's always Gary's. And house painter. Who died in 2018, aged 80. So he he's not alive anymore. Well, <laughs> but I would assume. But imagine you find out this guy painted your house. Like you're like, oh, <laughs> like you find you're like, That's oh like my the god, least that, of your worries. that guy. But even though it's like I, he was in my home, he actually painted this wall over here, painted my baby's room. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like the energy in well, that. That's why you can't. Room. I mean, it kind of reminds me of like I wonder if Ryan Murphy's going to do a story like it, like American Crime Story. Yeah. I feel like it's going to happen. I don't know. I don't. I'm honestly tired of seeing these serial killer shows and movies. Like it's like there's no point of like rejoicing behind somebody who murdered a whole bunch of people for what? Well, yeah. I mean, it's a I guess interesting story for everyone who's on the outside looking in. How do you think the victims' families feel? Uh, It's being sensationalized like that. The night sixty. Yeah, the sixties aren't that far away. Yeah. Maybe uh, siblings, family we members. Yeah. In 1969. Thank you. I That's a piece that. of history. I remember that. Because <laughs> there's a song that goes with that that I remember. It's like a Taylor Swift song. <laughs> no. <laughs> 1969. No, I wasn't there's... alive. No, there's a song. There's a song from a Disney show where it was a musical. It was like he went to the moon in 1969. Well, at least you see, pop culture helps with American history. <laughs> All right, next up, what happened when this guy vandalized a rainbow sidewalk? Yeah, he's facing some consequences. That's next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Yes, we are back for a more show for you. Uh, But also some great music here on Channel Q, so keep hanging out with us. (laughs) Coming up, uh, we're going to be talking about spicy foods and mental health because... They do have an impact, and it's really interesting. That's in 30 minutes. Plus, Adele responds to critics of her weight loss in the tea report in a moment. First, let's get into some what's trending this hour. The Florida man accused of leaving skin marks on a rainbow pride intersection during a Trump birthday rally in June turned down a plea deal on Tuesday and has chosen to face a jury trial instead. 
Prosecutors in Palm Beach County charged Alexander Jarek with multiple counts of criminal mischief and reckless driving relating to the incident. And, uh, of course, he was caught on video, and that video went viral. Jarek faces up to six years in prison and full restitution if convicted on all charges. So that's what you get for being a D-bag. Now, Senator Richard Blumenthal broke his silence on Finstigate. Here's the clip. I had a moment like this myself, Senator. <laughs> Where when I first learned what it was, a fake Instagram account, it's sort of like a shadow Instagram account uh, that the youngins use, right? There's been a lot of fallout uh, judgment of you for saying that. What is your response to it? I took a little ribbing online. The internet had a laugh. My kids had a laugh, and I had a laugh. But, you know, we created a fake Instagram account, so certainly I know what Finsta is, and I explained it in the first part of that hearing, as people later acknowledged. Yeah, if you remember, he was a senator during the Senate hearings with Facebook who accused Facebook for a product called Finsta. Finsta is just a, a thing we do to stalk people, basically. So, yeah. He acted like he knew what it was, but I guess we'll never know. Now, the U.S. Mint has announced the full list of five pioneering American women who will appear on the first run of the American Women Quarters program. So images of the women who represent a wide array of professions that women were previously shut out of will appear on the backs of select quarters beginning in 2022. Two of the women were previously announced, Sally Ride, an astronaut who was the first American woman in space, and then also Maya Angelou, of course, the celebrated poet and civil rights activist. Now we've got a few more announcements. Asian-American actress Anna Mae Wong will join this. Cherokee Nation leader Wilma Mankiller. And um, also uh, Nina Otero-Warren will join Ryden Angelou in being featured on the coins. So check out those female power coins coming to you in 2022. Early Yaz Queen, and that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? All right, so Adele, uh, we're finally getting some insight into Adele's mind ahead of her new single and album. And it's time for the C Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. So she dropped not one, but two Vogue covers, British and American Vogue. And let me just say, she looks stunning. Uh, She opened up to both magazines about the response, her weight loss. Um... And, I mean, literally so much more. She even kind of joked about during her uh, 2020 hosting stint on on Saturday Night Live uh, and how that, you know, criticism kind of has been received. Here's a, a little piece of what she said about her journey, her weight loss journey. She said, people are shocked because I didn't share my journey. They're used to people documenting everything on Instagram, and most people in my position would get a big deal with the diet brand. She's like, I couldn't give a flying F. I did it for myself and not anyone else, so why would I ever share it? I don't find it fascinating. It's my body. She said, my body's been objectified my entire career. It's not just now. I understand why it's a shock. I understand why some women, especially were her. Visually, I represented a lot of women, but I'm still the same person. Uh, She admitted that her feelings were hurt by some of the conversations sparked by her weight loss. Uh, She said the most brutal conversations were being had by other women about my body. I was very effing disappointed with that. That hurt my feelings. I know, right? Yeah, that is sad. She also talked about how this uh, album's dedicated to her son, her six-year-old son, and and she hopes that she's making this album for him when he gets into his 20s and 30s about divorce and why she uprooted his life um, for her happiness. 
because that's normally what divorce is? Yeah, usually it's not about the child. It's about the parents not getting along. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know if uh, <laughs> he will look back and be like, "Thanks." He might still be resentful. But hey, you can't. Control I don't that. think so. Actually, there was a moment she said that he he asked her, and he's six, by oh. the way. He asked her, "Can you see me?" And she said yes. And he said, "Well, I can't see you." And that was in the midst of her like going through before she pulled the trigger on the divorce. Oh wow, what a deep moment! I know kids be telling the truth, you know. It's crazy. Uh, did you see the quote also? I mean, she does say how she's obsessed with working out. She's lost 100 pounds. Yeah, but I, I'm, I wasn't going to highlight that because right. it's fat phobic. I'm just <laughs> No, it kind of actually is if you are having if you want to have a real conversation. But um, that's your tea report. We got more coming up on another hour. We do. More hours to come. There you go. We'll be here forever. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, uh, we're going to be talking about how spicy food impacts your mental health. But first, how spicy food became a measure of masculinity. Really interesting angle to all of this that's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Are you into spicy foods, Ryan? Um, It depends. Like, sometimes I like them, but sometimes, like, it can be a little much, and I don't try to hide it. Like, if I have, like, a Flaming Hot Dorito, which I just had recently oh. on a beach day, oh, my God, those were way too hot for me. You were dying. Yeah. Okay. But I have a friend who loves, she eats nothing but spicy foods, and I'm just like, how is your insides of not dying? I feel like you just also grew up with that type of food. Like, I grew up with French food, Montreal, no hot stuff there. It's- well, French food, I didn't. No shade. It doesn't really. Is it seasoned? Like, does it have? Because I feel like very buttery. Oh, is it? Well, it's more like a a bistro. Like I grew up with buttery. Doesn't mean it's seasoned. In Montreal, we did not have like hot or spicy food, and now here I I definitely eat it more. But in in some cultures, the spicier food you eat, actually, the more masculine you are. Well, that's America. Masculinity is everything. Yeah, and we also see this propagated in pop culture. You know the viral video series Hot Ones, of course. So we want to talk about how this toxic measure of masculinity came to be. Joining us right now is Dr. Uma Naidu, a Harvard-trained nutritional psychiatrist and best-selling author of This Is Your Brain on Food. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you so much for having me, John <laughs> Ryan. Great to talk with you. Yeah, definitely. I find this to be a really fascinating topic. So let's talk about the origins of spicy food and how did it get associated with masculinity? You know, I've been thinking about and researching this a little bit um, more, and I, I have to say I can't find the exact origin other than sort of how it became to be understood culturally. And, you know, some of this, I think, was based on an article for which I was interviewed, and the gentleman who wrote this did such a beautiful job of just describing his journey um, of the experience of spicy food, a little bit like what Ryan was saying, it doesn't appeal to him. But somehow this got got absorbed into a cultural norm of masculinity, which I have to say I'm not really, uh, I really don't necessarily agree with because I think that it's flavor and taste and emotion associated with that. And then the health benefits are a whole separate thing. Why we have to impose this, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, it's one of those things where I feel like I remember, and I'm from the South, right? And I remember going to like a Buffalo Wild Wings and, and you would just see like either guys at my table or we would go on a field trip or something and we would go there to eat. And 
but one one guy one guy had to prove himself by doing the hottest wing challenge there. Right. And it, right. it it seems like that was like, oh, if he could complete it, he gets this cred. He gets like this, oh, he's so tough. He went through it. Like he's not drinking any right. milk. And so it does kind of play into this idea about masculinity and being like, he's this alpha male, tough, which is this tough guy, right? And it just feels right. like, how can food even be gendered in that way? <laughs> That's right. I, I think you're absolutely right. It's, and, and I don't think it's, it, it's fair to, to human beings. And I don't think it's fair to food. You know, as a chef, I actually care about taste and flavor. And I grew up eating spicy food because I'm South Asian. But, you know, I don't eat the hottest foods. Other members of my family eat much spicier food than I do. But I really care about the flavor. And, you know, I think that it's, uh, I, I don't, I, I, and I also think that, you know, um, it's masking emotion, isn't it? Because, because I think that there's a tendency for uh, men sometimes to not feel that they can reach out for help or mental health help or even, say, see a therapist or talk about issues, right? And and I think that um, all of that just gets masked because as a psychiatrist, first and foremost, you know, I, I see suffering in different forms. And it, it really um, goes across all demographics. Um, and, and I think that's important to, for us to understand, too. Yeah, and someone might hear that and go, okay, how does that have to do with spicy food? But what you're saying is if you're not dealing with parts of yourself or accepting parts of yourself, you'll find ways to prove yourself and doing stuff like this. Absolutely. I think there's that part of it. Absolutely. I think that's a great connection, Michelle. And and also, you know, it's almost like an outward projection, right? Mm -hmm. How can I do something better than you? How can I, you know, how can I be maybe fulfill some inadequacy? And I'm saying this. Um, not as a generalization of, oh, everyone who eats spicy food is this way, everyone who is male. I'm not saying that at all. But I think there could be elements of that if we observe it. And I think um, that's just important for us to take into account. You know, one of the things that COVID has actually done is it's uncapped um, the, the information coming forward about the depth of mental health and despair in many individuals in the U.S. And, and I can certainly say the world, but, you know, let's focus on the U.S. for now. And one of the things I feel, you know, that we need to understand is that people need help. They need to, whatever their, whatever their, their, um, their cultural, uh, gender, ethnic, uh, social demographic background, what might be, people need to be able to feel comfortable to seek help. And the destigmatization of mental health is important. So, you know, however you relate to it, there may actually be emotional issues in some of the these behaviors um, that 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 are conducted around eating, you know, hot wings or, or whatever that, whatever else it might be. Who knew it could get so hot and so deep? Uh, actually, and, and just before we wrap things up, it was interesting because a 2015 NIH study that looked into why some people like having um, spicy foods, and this is from the Mike.com article you're referencing, they said that men yeah. who prefer spicy foods have higher sensitivity to reward. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, women who have, uh, prefer spicy foods are more apt to seek sensation, which I just found so um, interesting as well. You mentioned mental health. We want to get into the benefits of spicy food, not just all you know the, the bad societal things that it creates because spicy food is actually great for your mental health. And you're going to explain why right after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We're talking about spicy food and you might not realize this, but it has a benefit on your mental health. If you're going through something, um, it's been shown to support you. And we Which have, I did not know yeah. this, by the way. And I 
I'm still not sure if I'm convinced. Okay. Well, we have an expert, so it's not just me, because I know sometimes, you know, Ryan won't necessarily believe what I tell him. So or it always anyone. helps to, to have an expert. That's true. You know, I like to question things. I appreciate that. You can't just tell. That's how you join. That's how you get into, like, into Scientology or something, because you don't question anything. You know, my boyfriend did tell me this, and I did believe him. I was just like, okay. Um, <laughs> oh, do- see, we get to the <laughs> Dr. Uma Naidu joins us right now, a Harvard-trained nutritional psychiatrist and best-selling author, author of This Is Your Brain on Food. Uh, Dr. Naidu, welcome back. So let's get right into it. How does spicy food help with your brain? Yeah, thanks, Shira. So, you know, it turns out that um, we want to make the distinction, right, between spices and flavor and spicy food. Mm. Spices um, have immense, all spices, in fact, have a lot of good evidence around improvement of mental health. So something like turmeric with a pinch of black pepper, um, rosemary thyme, Mexican oregano, impart great flavors. And in my book, I share on, you know, the, the brain benefits of these different spices. Now, spiciness, it comes from capsaicin, which is found in different types of chili peppers. And some of the benefits in our body from um, capsaicin can be a, a, a help, helping with pain and analgesic effect. Um, it can actually help promote vascular health and our metabolic health. Um, it improves cognition and how we are thinking. And it also has been implicated in helping with weight. Um, so, so capsaicin and capsaicinoids from uh, spicy foods and generally found in different types of chili peppers actually has some good evidence behind it. Mm. Um, that being said, you know, individuals, uh, a lot of how our food is kind of broken down and digested is also based on the unique relationship of our, our gut microbiome. So one person may not have the exact response to a food as someone else. So we just want to take that into account as well. Right, because I'm like, everything is probably... It, I always think about now someone hearing this, being like, I'm just going to mm-hmm. eat nothing but spicy foods to help oh, me through goodness. this. <laughs> and I'm just like... Oh, wait, my partner actually was went through a bad period of time, and so... I go into his fridge when we started dating and there's like a whole thing of spicy sauces. And I'm like, really? what? Why? He goes, well, when I was going through a bad time, I heard it. And he kind of then leaned into it and like got just mm-hmm. all these spices. So talk about stuff. the importance of like portion, <laughs> making sure you're not overindulging. <laughs> well, I mean, here's, here's something that I think is important. And also to come back to Shura's point, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, that spices can do is, is we talked about dopamine in the last segment mm-hmm. and the reward center. Um, there are also endorphins released um, and that gives a, a, an uplifting feeling. So people, you know, I, I do think that people like your boyfriend, showed, you know, was maybe paying attention to what I call body intelligence in nutritional psychiatry, which is responding to either a positive or negative impact that a food might have on how you're feeling. And most of us just ignore that all the time um, and I think that if it made him feel better, there could have been different mechanisms that were doing that. But then when it comes to, um, Ryan, when it comes to any food recommendation, whether it be a spice, a different type of food, whatever you might eat, you know, I'm not so much of a calorie counter because I think it's the quality of the food and the portion control. Um, for example, you know, there was this um, study done that showed that the dinner plate size in the United States, right, increased over the last 100 years from like an 8-inch dinner plate 
to a 10 or 11 inch dinner plate. Think about it as did our portion sizes. So it's really key um, in, in mental health and in terms of our physical health as well to be eating, you know, eating things in moderation and a good balance of good quality foods in your diet. And that's really what nutritional psychiatry is about. It's eating healthy whole foods and nutrients to improve your mental well-being along complementarily with, you know, um, therapies and medications that you may or may not need depending on what your doctor assesses. So I think all of those things are key. Okay, well, thank you so much for giving us that lowdown on the spicy foods and the benefits. We appreciate it. My pleasure, sir. Yeah, and by the way, uh, Dr. Uma has an incredible book out. This is your brain on food. Did you know you have a summary of it? I hope you're getting royalties from that too. On well, Amazon. You know, that's, uh, that's a total fake, and uh, people should know that. It's much cheaper than my actual book, um, and it's not by me. I don't, I don't even know how it has my name on Please it. Please so, do something yeah. about that, because I was looking at Amazon. I was going to buy the book, and I'm like, what's the summary? Anyway, uh, Dr. <laughs> Uma Naidu, again, is a Harvard-trained nutritional psychiatrist and best-selling author of This Is Your Brain on Food. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Ryan, for a great conversation. Well, next up, you might, we are switching gears, I'll preface that, you might avoid getting wedgies after hearing what happened to this woman. That's next. (laughs) Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q. This is a reminder not to wear things that are too tight, including down there. Listen to what happened to this North Carolina woman who wore short shorts that were a little too short and too tight. Uh, she shared this on TikTok. This is a little moment from it, and we'll we'll get more into it. So what happened is I was wearing boy short underwear, and the material kept clumping up, um, and I kept p- picking my wedgie. Yeah, and guess what? Her major wedgie left her with a bacterial infection that led to sepsis. She ended up having to go to a hospital. That's not funny. That's not funny. It is funny, actually. I mean, the headline, I'm sorry, when I, when I, we shared this yesterday, we were, you know, brainstorming ideas for the show. I said, woman nearly dies after eight-hour wedgie from high-waisted shorts. <laughs> I mean, talk about a headline. I mean, how, how does, I just, maybe because I don't wear short shorts, I'm trying to figure out how that happens. Like, is it from a lack of washing the denim? Is it from a lack of... Mm-hmm. Like it just be like you not cleaning properly. Like what? Where's the bacteria coming from if it was never originally there? Well, because when you get a cut, then she it like somehow was so it was so intense and it was rubbing so hard, just like anything. Her she got a cut in her butt crack, and then it led to an infection, a bacterial infection. First of all, why was she wearing those tight ass pants? <laughs> You know why? Because of the uh, ideals of women, what we're forced to wear to to be and look hot in this world today leads to this practical death. I'm never going to body shame anyone. That's fine. She probably looks great in them. It's just just about comfortability at this point. If you know something is too tight, maybe don't wear that. You knew it was tight when you put them on and you looked at yourself. You knew they were tight before you picked up your keys to leave your apartment. You knew they were tight. So what do you mean? What is this like a spoken word? I'm just saying. There's a poem called You Knew They Were Tight. (laughs) You knew you were tight when you walked out the door. You knew they were tight when you entered the car. So my thing is, where did the cut, like how did... She allowed that cut to happen. So here's it's the thing. Her fault. I have 
empathy because so For many what? of us butt wait crack cut? yeah i do <laughs> because so many of us and you know who you are put on clothes and we know that this they are not comfortable and yet we t- continue to go out in them shoes it i mean shoes is like the the obvious one and i think this is a reminder yeah it's better to be comfortable it's better to be safe than sorry because i think we're so used to just like putting on clothes because yeah it look you think it looks hot but then you're hurting it's not worth it it is not worth it. This is your sign, just in case you're thinking about wearing the tiny, tiny clothes. I mean, I don't care if you want to wear tight clothes. Like that's not, you just gotta wear. If you're gonna wear tight clothes, make sure it's not cutting, cutting you and harming you, where you create a bacteria infection on you. Listen, walk around a few times in your place. If you feel any bit of discomfort, imagine yourself eight hours later. It's going to be worse. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We're wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. This one goes to the owners of Melanin Cafe. So it's a cafe in Alabama that is also serving up some black history with every cup of coffee. Founded by Catrice Hickson and her husband, uh, Jakira Hickson, the cafe offers drinks named after what she says are lesser-known black contributors and landmarks. For example, the coconut vanilla-flavored espresso drink, Checkup, represents Dr. John W. Darden Opalika, who's the Alabama's first black doctor. So I just think this is really nice because we all love our coffee shops, but to also have a place where people come together and learn is a great thing. It's for black people and also anyone else who wants to learn about black history. Exactly. Which is beautiful. Exactly. Uh, So go check it out. If you're in Alabama, support a small business and what they're up to. You can also follow them on Instagram at melanin underscore cafe. So good on them for doing something cool like this and making a difference. And that's our Yaz Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. That also does it for our show today. But we will be back tomorrow, same time, live, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific, 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern here on Channel Q with some news, views, and great music, as always. On tomorrow's show, we're going to be talking about flu season coming up and those vaccines. And how does it all work? (laughs) Like, all the vaccines. Uh, Plus, we're going to be talking about Um, Mental Health Awareness Day, which is coming up on Sunday as well. That's tomorrow. Plus, if you miss any of our shows or interviews, you can always go to our podcast. You can find our podcast on the Odyssey app or where podcasts are available. Just search Let's Go There with Shira and Ryan. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. Now stick around for Love Line with Dr. Chris, where he's covering how to stop narcissists in your life. That's next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. (laughs) 